Well, good morning. It is certainly a joy to be with you again, and thank you, Pastor, for having us. Uh, the most important tool that I can give you is our prayer list that is just a tool to obey 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, that says, I exhort, therefore, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, so that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I don't know if everyone got the prayer list. If you didn't by chance get one, um, just raise your hand real quick. We've got some ushers in the back that will make sure you get one. So if you don't have one, just raise your hand real quick. We'll make sure that you get one. I see a few hands. Uh, so just keep your hand up until they get to you, um, and we'll make sure that you get one of these prayer lists. Again, the most important tool I can give you to obey 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, and it covers all three branches of government, both state and national, uh, the executive branch, the legislative branch, as well as the judicial branch, so that you can pray for them all once a month. So it's divided into 31 days so that you can pray for them all. So very important uh, list to keep in your Bible. I have folded it um, so that you can just use it for a bookmark. And as you read through your Bible, you can um, keep your place with the prayer list um, additionally, I think there might still be a couple more hands. I think I saw another hand up here. If uh, I think this gentleman wanted one and maybe someone else, I'm not sure. Um, there we go. Yeah, just keep your hand up till you get a prayer list. By the way, I also want you to take a pen out and write on day number one. And write your pastor's name on day number one, Pastor Jared Edgecombe. Just write his name right there on day number one. And by the way, don't just remember him on the first day of the month. Remember him every day as you pick up that prayer list and as you pray for the leaders. He is the one who cares for your soul. And of course, you want to remember all your pastors here. Uh, so I've given you plenty of room to write those names in. Uh, but particularly pray for your pastor. Vitally important. Uh, because the Bible says to pray for all who are in authority. So we certainly need to pray particularly for those who are in the church in authority as well. The Bible says to do good unto all men, but especially those of the household of faith. So we need to remember our pastors in prayer. So um, take that prayer list, put it in your Bible, use it from day to day as you have opportunity. Um, additionally, if you would like, you can pick up the little card on our table, or it's actually in the bottom right-hand corner of your prayer list. You can actually sign up online at pray1tim2.org. And by the way, this works in every state. So you can tell your relatives and friends about it that are in other states and sign up to pray for our leaders. If you sign up for daily, you pray for them all once a month, just like the prayer list does. So feel free to Go online, sign up in that way. We're not just about prayer. We're also about the ministry of the word. And really, those are the two things that our ministry is all about. First of all, to pray for our leaders, but also to give them the word of God. And so we expositionally have Bible studies for them. I'm currently in the book of Daniel. In fact, the sermon that I will preach this morning was actually shared earlier with our legislators in the Capitol this year. 
So you get to enjoy one of those Bible studies, but you can feel free to stop by the table as well and pick up uh, some of those Bible studies. Also, we've got some other prayer lists, the United States prayer map, as well as a world prayer map to remember the leaders of our country, as well as the leaders of the world. Also, you can pick up one of my books as, as well. I uh, just got published this year is there on the back table. If you'd like to partner with us in the ministry, feel free to sign up uh, for our prayer letter. And all of that is on there on the back table. But if you would, please turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 is our passage today, verses 8 through 15. But before we begin, I'd like to start with a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is all-powerful and that you use it to speak to each one of our hearts. And so we ask our Father that truly as the psalmist requested, open now mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. May you strengthen each one of us to behold wondrous things from your law even this morning. We particularly ask our Father that you would bless Pastor Edgecombe, bless each one of the leaders here at this church, May you smile upon the work of their hands. May you encourage them in ministry. Guide them in all that they do. Give them wisdom as they study your word and share it with this flock. We ask also, our Father, that you would bless our country and our leaders. Particularly, we ask for our president, our vice president, each one in the cabinet, our Congress, our Supreme Court. Lord, we ask that you will open their eyes to the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We rejoice that you say in Proverbs 21.1 that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And as rivers of water, you turn it whithersoever you will. So Lord, we ask that you would especially turn their hearts to you, even at this time. We ask as well that you would bless our own governor, Yunkin, our Lieutenant Governor Sears, our Attorney General Miaris, each one in the cabinet. Lord, we thank you for how many believers are in the cabinet. We rejoice in what you are doing. We ask as well for our Senate, our House of Delegates, our own Supreme Court. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing, and we ask that you would open their eyes as well to your gospel to your truth, and that you would draw them unto yourself in your abundant grace. So, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. We thank you that you say, ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. And so we are asking and seeking and knocking, particularly on behalf of our leaders. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we have a wonderful passage before us. I've chosen Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. So if you have your Bibles open, we can read it together. And by the way, if you would, let's stand together in honor of God's word. Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. 
But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented to them in this matter and tested them 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thank you. You may be seated. What a wonderful passage. Dr. Danny Aiken quotes the great missionary Hudson Taylor. He says, the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor said, and listen carefully, this is an important quote, unless there is an element of extreme risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. Hey, let me read that one again. This is Hudson Taylor. Unless there is the element of extreme risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. Danny Aiken then says, there is little doubt that Daniel and his friends' exploits, fueled by faith that God would honor their devotion, had the element of extreme risk. Indeed, the risk potentially could involve the deaths of Ashpenaz, his steward, and Daniel and his friends. However, the Hebrews had settled in their hearts long ago that they would remain faithful to their God no matter what. Compromise was a word not in their vocabulary when it came to spiritual conviction and commitments. And God honored this in an amazing way. That is certainly true of our passage this morning. But I think it's appropriate as we go to our passage to ask a few questions of our passage. What was it about the king's delicacies that would defile Daniel? Was Daniel risking his own life with this request? And how much favor had God given to Daniel in the eyes of the chief of the eunuchs? Did he give the most important key to Daniel regarding their food? And why were they provided an additional steward? And what was the key outcome that the king wanted through these delicacies? And finally, what was it that Daniel requested that made such a difference? You know, these 
Judean princes from the line of David had been named so that all their names honored God. You know, they were born during the revival of King Josiah. I don't know if you've ever seen that parallel between our nation and even the nation of Israel. But certainly my prayer is that God might grant us the days of Josiah. I don't know if you realize it, but Manasseh was so wicked that as a king, he sacrificed his own child to Moloch. I don't know if you know what's involved with that, but they would have a bronze statue where they would have a fire underneath the arms and then they would lay their precious little baby on those arms after they heated them up red hot and that poor screaming child would literally be burned to death. That was the form of abortion in the days of Manasseh. But God sent a revival after the wicked days. And by the way, during the days of Manasseh, God said, I will not forgive. You will go into captivity. I will not forgive. But then God granted revival in the days of Josiah. And by the way, I think it's a beautiful thing to pray for that God might grant us the days of Josiah and our own nation. We've seen some very encouraging things even at the hand of our own Supreme Court. So I think it's an appropriate prayer to pray for the days of Josiah. But the very names of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were all given to them by their parents during that revival under Josiah. Beautiful thing. Their names honored God in the greatest way. But now... They're emasculated slaves. It has occurred. They have been kidnapped because of their excellence and deported over 900 miles from home. And now they're in Babylon. To remove from them all loyalty to their God, their names now had been changed by their captors to honor and praise the false gods of Babylon. Most of the world, and especially the Babylonians, assumed that their gods had conquered the God of Israel. And the continual use of these names by the Judean princes in the place of Babylon itself seemed to prove their assumption true, certainly in their own minds. But worse than that, you had their training. The literature of the Chaldeans, whom they were forced to learn, would have also honored those same false gods of the Babylonians. To make matters worse, their menu of delicious delicacies and best wine from the king would have first been sacrificed to the false gods of Babylon before they were even served on the table in order to sustain the priest in the pagan temples. I'm sure Daniel and his friends must have wondered, you know, how, when is this avalanche of onslaught against the God of Israel going to stop? I'm sure they must have wondered that as they're in this false, in this land that promotes all these false gods. 
But Daniel made a decision. And his decision was made entirely by the word of God. This is a beautiful thing. We're going to see this this morning. So which of these requirements were specifically forbidden by God? Was it their names that honored the false gods of Babylon? Or was it their learning that exalted as well the false gods of Babylon? Or was it that delicious food that they alone were privileged to have that came directly from the king but first had been served in the false temples to honor the gods of Babylon? Which ones, what of all that had God specifically spoken concerning? Well, we certainly know from Leviticus 11.7 that a specific delicacy would have been among the scavengers that the Babylonians would have eaten. But this brings us to point number one. And that is the purpose to obey in verse 8. Daniel chose that he would not defile himself with the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. I find it fascinating. In verse 7, the concept is repeated twice. That the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names... This word gave means to put or place or set with a sense of finality, which even carries the meaning to impose. And certainly those names were imposed upon them. But this same word, listen carefully, this same word is used in verse 8 of Daniel when he imposes on his own heart. He imposes on his own self that he will not defile himself. Isn't this beautiful? The same imposition, as it were, upon them for these false gods and these names that promoted these false gods, Daniel uses the same word to say, I impose upon my own heart and my own life. I'm not going to serve those false gods. Instead, I'm going to obey the true God. I'm going to obey the God of Israel, my God. Beautiful. And so he purposed with a sense of finality. He would not allow otherwise because it would defile him and would be in direct disobedience to the word of God. Well, first of all, the meat certainly would include swine or pork, which is specifically condemned in Leviticus 11.7, but also... This meat would not have been prepared properly. It was necessary to drain the animals properly and not to eat their blood. According to Genesis 9, verses 4 through 6, Leviticus 17, 13, 19, 26, Deuteronomy 12, 23 to 25. So these animals certainly were not prepared in the proper way in regard to scripture. But finally, these delicacies and wine would have first been offered to the Babylonian pagan deities in worship of those false gods. Something that God specifically had forbidden. In fact, I want you to turn with me, please, to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34 gives us this specific 
occurrence where this is mentioned. Starting in verse 14, God says, for you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Verse 15, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods and one of them invites you to eat of his sacrifice. So to eat of the sacrifice of a false god, God considered the same as worshiping the false god. Very clear from that passage. By the way, you have it again. In Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 and 2, of course, it speaks of the time they're in the wilderness. Now, Israel remained in Acacia, in, the, in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab, and they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Exactly the same concept. They ate the sacrifice to the false God, and then they worship the false God. It was both synonymous. It was both the same. And Daniel said, I will not defile myself and directly disobey God. You know, it's interesting. Psalm 19 verse 13 says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. And you say, what are presumptuous sins? Well, sins are no, are Presumptuous sins are sins that you know are wrong and you do it anyway. Those are presumptuous sins. Okay? But David said, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. He goes on to say, by the way, those beautiful words. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. But there's at least eight reasons that made this decision extremely difficult and dangerous for Daniel and his friends. The first seven are actually given by Leon Wood, and the final one is given by Gleason Archer. First of all, the king had ordered this menu. Therefore, the order was law. Being the kind of young men they were, their first inclination would have been to obey it. They could have argued that they really had no alternative. Or, number two, to disobey would incur punishment. These four young men could well have cringed at the thought of what might happen to them if they refused to comply with this royal order. Number three, to refuse the food would have seemed a sure way to spoil all chances of advancement toward the goal of a fine government position at the close of their training period. To go against this first order of the king could have well seemed the worst that they could do to make this a reality. Number four, the quality of the food ordered by the king would have been very attractive. It would have been the finest. Such food was hard to turn down. Number five, the four were a long way from home. And parents and relatives would never know if they chose wrongly. By the way, they're 900 miles from home. Number six, it would have been natural to argue that since God had not protected them from this captivity, they did not have to be careful in obeying God's commands. Yeah, they could have 
you know, made that reasoning with themselves. Number seven, they could have, they could not have helped but realize that their supervisors would think them very foolish in their request, turning down such an attractive menu. Indeed, even ungrateful for favor being shown. And then finally, should they not accept the royal diet and thus avoid giving needless offense to their classmates or to the officials or the king himself? Worldly wisdom would have pointed in that direction. By their compliance, they would please everyone. But, as Gleason Archer says, they would not please God, to whom they were surrendered, body and soul. So at the start of their career, they faced squarely their priorities and determined to trust God, to see them through the perils of noncompliance and possible forfeiture of all that they had gained. By their early refusal to disobey God, they prepared themselves for future greatness as true witnesses of the one true God in the midst of a degenerate pagan culture. It is significant that precisely in the matter of forbidden food, listen carefully, which Satan successfully tripped up Adam and Eve, these four Hebrew youths passed their first test with flying colors. Wonderful words by Gleason Archer. John Walford says, God brought... God had brought Israel into captivity because of their failure to observe the law. And Daniel's handling of this problem sets the spiritual tone for the entire book. They decided to obey God, no matter what. They decided to obey God. You know, Christ says it the best in Luke 16, 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in least is unjust also in much. So we've seen clearly their purpose to obey in verse 8. We see secondly the protection from the officer in verses 9 through 11. Certainly the chief of the eunuchs would have been surprised at this request. To hear these ewes want to pass on the king's delicacies. I mean this was actually a favor to them. The usual response would have been, as well, because the king had ordered it, to report them immediately to the king, who probably would become enraged at their ingratitude and possibly kill them. And yet, by their obvious love and commitment to God, look at verse 9. It says, God gave God gave. I find this fascinating. It's the same word as in verse 2, that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, or Nebuchadnezzar's hand. So God had given the king, this is why, by the way, Daniel and his friends are in captivity, because God had given that king into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. And now God gave him, the chief of the eunuchs, a great love for them. The words are favor and goodwill. By the way, I love this word for favor. This first word for favor is usually translated in the Old Testament, loving kindness. It's actually the Hebrew word chesed. And, and by the way, it's the equivalent almost, not quite, 
to the word we all know, agape, that speaks of this incredible love, sacrificial love. This one's not quite there, but it's almost. I mean, certainly this guy's not willing to risk his life for Daniel, but he certainly has a lot of care for Daniel. This second word, goodwill, is a plural of intensity, revealing deep sympathy. So not only does he care for him in the positive way, he actually feels bad for Daniel and his friends in the negative way. So both sides are in the heart of this chief of the eunuchs who's over everyone. And yet with all that goodwill and all that favor, the answer seems to be no. And that he is not willing to risk his life for Daniel and his friends, but he does give Daniel the key. The key to the answer by which Daniel can overcome the problem. Because Daniel does not know why the king is given the delicacies. It may be to make them worship his false gods as the food has been dedicated to them. It may be to make them dependent on him as slaves and emphasizing their slavery. It may be a reward for their difficult labor. They're in this school where they're having to learn all these languages and they're all competing with one another. They're the sharpest young men from all these nations that have been conquered. And maybe this is to reward them. Or maybe it's to fatten them up. Because the king doesn't want sad, skinny teenagers in his court. Instead, he wants happy, hefty, big, strong guys in his court. So which of the four is it? Do you know the eunuch gives the answer? It's beautiful. The chief of the eunuchs relates to Daniel that the latter is the reason. And he also seems to place a steward over them to minimize the risk. No doubt he as well probably pulled them away from all the others so that they could take this risk without being seen and without it being a controversy. So they won't be noticed. But all of this is given by God because of their obedience to the word of God. It's a beautiful thing. All of this as well is an answer to King Solomon's prayer. I love this. Here's a prayer way back at the dedication of the temple. And Solomon prays at the dedication of the temple. And this is what he prays in 1 Kings 8, 46 through 50. He says, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them away captive to the land of the enemy, when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward this land, the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have transgressed against you and grant them compassion. By the way, that is exactly the meaning of the second word. Grant them compassion before those who took them captive 
that they may have compassion on them. Well, a beautiful prayer. Solomon has prayed way in advance at the very dedication of the temple. Calvin says, he showed a singular kindness in not taking him before the king since courtiers are ready for any accusation for the sake of obtaining favor. Proverbs 16, 7 says it so well. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. What beautiful words. And so we've seen Daniel's purpose to obey in verse 8, the protection from the officer in verses 9 through 11. Now we see the prevailing by obedience in verses 12 through 15. Now Daniel knows these rich delicacies are just to fatten him up. And so he devises a strategy that requires great faith and some strategic wisdom as well. And he asks the steward for a 10-day test with just vegetables and water. Now it is interesting, the word for vegetables includes anything grown from seed. So this would include, you know, all your breads, your dates, your olives, your nuts, fruits and vegetables, anything that was available in that way. And by the way, none of that would have been sacrificed to the gods, the false gods, because it would not have been considered the best. The meat was the best. The wine was the best. So it was offered to these false gods. But none of this would have been offered. And so they have an opportunity for test. Seems that curiosity alone would demand a yes to this non-rescue 10-day test. And the steward is the one deciding whether or not it will continue by the results. And God granted them This is a beautiful thing. From vegetables and water, God granted them to appear better and fatter in flesh than everyone else. They were then able to continue in their obedience to God. God took good care of them. Ian Digwood says, the outcome of their dietary test was clearly not what ordinarily would have been expected. Normally, people don't get fat on a simple diet of fruit and vegetables. This outcome, too, was a mark of God's faithfulness to these young men, honoring their commitment to him. Tremper Longman says, their robust appearance, usually attained by a rich fare of meats and wine, is miraculously achieved through a diet of vegetables. Only God could have done it. Only God could have done it. And God does it for them. I close with a few questions, and then I want to make an application to us today. First of all, do you choose your battles by obedience to God's word? That's exactly what Daniel did. He chose his battle by obedience to scripture. Secondly, are you willing to take significant risks to avoid sin and be obedient to God? Thirdly, does your love for God encourage you to find creative solutions to be at peace with others? And then fourthly, do you prevail through obedient prayer and the word of God? And this is where I return to 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. In application to us. You know, God says this is the first priority of the church. He says, I exhort, therefore, first of all, That supplications, prayers, 
intercessions, and giving of thanks. By the way, that is the strongest emphasis on prayer in all of Scripture. And God says to do it, not just for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. This is why I give you the prayer list. We're to pray for them. And not just pray for them personally, we're to pray for them in the public prayers of the church. By the way, that's proven in context in verse 8. It's talking about the men of the church praying in the, in the public meeting of the church. So we're to pray for them publicly and privately. What is amazing is that this is the final climactic commission of the New Testament with a threefold emphasis on God desiring to see men saved, making it the strongest commission of the New Testament on God desiring to see men saved, and we walk right around it and don't even see it as a commission. You say, David, why would that be the case? Why would we walk around the strongest commission in the New Testament and not even catch it? I think the reason why is because when we think commission, we think go. This commission doesn't say go. This commission says, pray, pray. And we miss it. We miss it entirely. You say, well, prove to me it's the strongest climactic commission of the New Testament. It goes on to say, for this is well-pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Savior, who have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. A threefold emphasis on God desiring to see men saved, making it the strongest climactic commission of the New Testament. And we as the church tend to miss it entirely. We just miss it. And we don't pray for our leaders. Now, let's ask ourselves the question. If obedience to this first priority determined our peace within our nation, by the way, it's in the passage, so that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. If this is how God determines to give us peace, do we deserve peace? This is a good question. How many churches pray for their leaders in their public services? Do we do this? And how many of us take a prayer list, and remember our leaders in prayer. God has said it's the first priority. Can we dare neglect it? You know, James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. Yeah, you guys are sharp. I find it fascinating when Samuel presents Saul to the nation. He says these incredible words in 1 Samuel 12, 23 and 24. He says, but God forbid, listen carefully, but God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. He's talking to the king. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth. For consider what great things he has done for you. What is Samuel saying? He's saying, I'm not, gonna need, I'm not going to neglect to pray for you. And I consider neglecting to pray for you to be a what? 
a sin. A sin. So how easy is it to commit sin by omission and simply neglect our leaders? How easy is it? It's very easy to do. Can we afford to do it? You know, we almost ought to use that complaining spirit when we don't like what our government's doing as a reminder to pray for them. You know, we have that complaining spirit. We all do. I do too. Okay? We all, you know, we don't, we don't like it sometimes. We should use that as a reminder to pray for our leaders. And you say, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, David. How many other churches do it? Well, how many other people in Daniel's day, of all those who were deported from Israel, how many of them stood up and said, I will not defile myself with the portion of the king's meat or his delicacies or the wine that he drinks? Daniel took a stand. So you have an opportunity to do the same thing. And so you know what? We're going to stand as a church. And we're going to pray for our leaders publicly in our services and privately. No matter what all the other churches are doing, we're going to do it. Because God has said it's a first priority. That's not my words. Those are God's words. I exhort, therefore, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, so that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of of the truth. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you use your word to speak to us. Oh, Father, we ask that you would strengthen us to be obedient in this specific. That we may not sin by omission, but that we would remember kings and all who are in authority, our leaders of our own country, for you have made it clear that this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. We'll have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You've also made it clear that it's for our peace so that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. Now we know, our Father, that your disciples only asked you to teach them one thing. Lord, Teach us to pray. May you this morning do the same for us. Lord, teach us to pray and to especially pray for our leaders. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.